0: Good afternoon. Merry Christmas, everybody. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Illuminate Community Church. Thank you so much for being with us. I don't know if, uh, if you guys read the same, uh, the same article that I did over the last couple of weeks, but I read it online, therefore it must be true. But uh, okay, it's official. It's been made official that Christmas is now the world's largest secular holiday kind of interesting. And, it, and if, if you're an outsider looking in, you can, you can see how this makes a little bit of sense because, well, I mean, just think about what, what goes down in the name of Christmas music. You noticed we, we sing most often about Christmas weather, right? Let it snow, white Christmas. What else? It's cold outside. It's like if aliens were to drop down and try to figure out what Christmas was about for us, they would think we all go to the Church of Meteorology because that's all we sing about, right? We sing about the weather, like what's the weather going to be like for Christmas, you know? If you ask a little kid, what are they most excited about? Who's going to arrive at Christmas? What are they going to say? Santa. You ever think about that? It's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like the Christ and Christmas gets lost on us. So here's, I'm going to make a promise to you. Here's my promise to you. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to to ask and answer a question, okay? So before you leave tonight, my promise to you is that you will have this question answered. And it's a really important question. It has everything to do with Christmas. And the question is this. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Okay, that's the question. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Now, in order to answer that question, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you back in time, about 2,000 years to where it all began. There's this guy by the name of Matthew who lived at the time of Jesus. In fact, he was a friend of Jesus, He had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. He lived with him, heard him teach, saw him perform miracles. And because the life of Jesus was so extraordinary, the guy's like, I got to write a biography about this guy just so that people can understand exactly who he is. And listen to the way in which uh, he begins. He actually begins talking about the very birth of Jesus uh, because it's a little unusual. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. So two very traditional, right, Christmas story characters there, right? And the word betrothed, think of that as an engagement on steroids. For all intents and purposes, back in the day, it was as if they were married. So before they came together, right, she was found to be with child, but from the Holy Spirit so put yourself back in this scene right it's basically from the best we can tell this is like a teenage couple like right around maybe 14 15 years old I mean the guy's barely been shaving his face and and he's betrothed to this woman whom he loves and and she says to him hey Joseph um well (laughs) you know you understand obviously I'm a virgin um yes Mary Well, uh, and um, I'm pregnant. And what's this young man thinking? I married a crazy one, you know. She's crazy, right? She's crazy. So he begins thinking about all of this, but in his mind, he's like, okay, I got to take some action here. But he wants to do what's right. So we get these details, verse 19, and her husband, Joseph... He's a good guy, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, but quietly. Not going to make a big issue out of it. But then he starts thinking a little bit more about it. He's like, you know, I know this girl. I love her. She's never lied to me before. At that moment, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So right away, you get one of the primary purposes of Jesus coming is it found in his name, Jesus, which literally means God saves, which implies that there's something that needs saved within every human. Okay, more on that later, but that's why Jesus is coming. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. and He's going to quote the prophet Isaiah who wrote 700 years early and he said, when God sends forth the Messiah, he's going to give a really, really easy sign. I mean, you're really going to be able to see in just a, a, it's, it's not going to take you long to identify the birth of the Messiah because behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, some of you might know what the name Emmanuel means. There's a lot wrapped up. Names meant everything back in the day. Even based on your character or your conduct, they might even change your name back in the day. So names meant everything. So the name Emmanuel literally means, as the text tells us, God is with us. So one of the reasons why Jesus came to the earth was to show us who God is. Let me say that again one of the primary reasons why Jesus came to the earth is to show us who God is. It's wrapped up in that name, God is with us. And this is really important because oh, there's a lot of misperceptions out there about who God is. I mean, isn't that the question? Doesn't everybody want to know? It's like everybody has some sense of the eternal within them. Where do you think that comes from? That's just a whole other, another message. But everybody kind of has this sense that there's something more to this life, that there is something bigger out there. What is God like? Who is God? That's the question. The challenge is, there's a lot of different thoughts and opinions, and the reality is, for many of us, we make projections based on... Well, frankly, based on some of the human relationships that we have, most specifically, maybe even with our earthly fathers, if we've we've had an earthly father that's cold or distant or aloof or uninvolved, we may project that onto our image of God. Some people have a more old school tradition of God, like he's like he's some old man with a white beard and white hair and is way off in a distance, and and yeah, he's kind of like angry all the time, you know, just waiting to be upset. And did you know that according to Pew Research, almost half a little over half of all Americans view God as nothing more than a higher power. So in other words, they're not even sure that God is personal. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to explode the misperceptions about who God is. Uh, my, um, my dad passed away a few years ago. And if I could have one gift for Christmas this year, what do you think it would be? It would be to have Dad back. Even just like for a day. Just to hear the sound of his voice. Just to hear him talk. You're right? Just to interact with him. I'm going to receive, you know, some presents from people that love me. I'll, I mean, the socks will be wonderful. You know what I'm saying? It'll be great. More stuff that I really don't need. But it's all love. You know, it's nothing but love. But, there is no earthly physical object that could ever replace the physical presence of my dad. Physical presence is so important. I mentioned it, I think it was maybe last Sunday. You know, there's one business, one industry that, that has actually done pretty well during the pandemic. You know what it is? Massage therapy. Why? Because people are literally paying others. Just for human touch. Physical presence. We all want that and need that. It's core, it's fundamental to your existence. <sighs> Wouldn't it make sense then that when God chooses to reveal himself, he doesn't say, Listen to the sound of my thunderous voice, everybody. This is God speaking. This is who I am. He doesn't send a host of uh, angels, a massive angel army to declare who he is. Instead, He does it in the most unusual way. But he's communicating something about himself. He sends a baby. Uh, That's born in a basically a stable in a podunk town to two completely obscure people, teenagers. See, God is communicating something. Jesus comes in humility. And so this this Christmas story, there's so much there than we realize, but it's all wrapped up in this name, Emmanuel. John, who was perhaps the best friend of Jesus, he also writes a biography about the life of Jesus. In the very first chapter, this is how he describes him. He says, you know, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he, he's talking about Jesus, has made him God known. Jesus has made God known. So, Doesn't it make sense that as we read what the rest of these biographers write about the life of Jesus, we can understand God by reading about what Jesus did, what he said, how he thought. So let's do that. So Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 9 about Jesus going from city to city, all through these villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. That's what Jesus would do right when he showed up, because his message was primarily to the Jews first. So when he showed up into a town, he'd roll up in the synagogues and his message went straight to the Jews first and he was proclaiming the gospel, which means good news, of the kingdom. And then he backed it up by healing people, every disease, every affliction. But look at this. These moments that Jesus looks out and he sees the crowds and he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and they were helpless. And the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, That kind of describes our own time. So we know that god is compassionate because jesus is compassionate so this is really really um, compelling so many people view god as distant and aloof and uninvolved nothing could be further from the truth you see jesus touching a leper you see jesus healing the blind you see jesus feeding those who are hungry you see jesus with the rich you see him with the poor Jesus was called a friend of sinners. So everybody that he came across experienced his compassion. You know what the shortest verse in the entire Bible is? John chapter 11, verse 35, and it's applied to Jesus. Translated into English, it's just, technically it's not the shortest verse in the Bible in the Greek, but in English it's translated to two words. You You know what those words are? What are they? Jesus wept. Isn't that interesting? And what did he cry over? He's got this good buddy Lazarus. Lazarus dies. And Jesus shows up, and relatives are there, and everybody's super sad. And if you've lost someone close to you, you feel that pain. And Jesus joins in their sadness because Lazarus was his from too. Now, now here's what's crazy about it. Jesus knows he's gonna raise him from the dead, but he still weeps over death, why? Because even though Jesus brings him back to life, there will come a day when Lazarus dies. And you know, and and you're kinda like, well, um, when Jesus weeps over human suffering, then that must mean also, follow closely, that God weeps too. But there's a question that follows. If, if God weeps over human suffering and, and he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he just do away with it? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it's a super fair question, right? Um, why, doesn't just, why doesn't God just do away with all human suffering? Well, the cause of most human suffering is, is what? Uh, humans. Uh, mm, that didn't land with you quite right. The cause of human suffering is humans, and that includes you and me. Our overwhelming tendency to want to serve ourselves, we just do stuff that's jacked up. We end up hurting others, we hurt ourselves. We are the problem. And so if God removed the source of all human suffering, it would be the end of you, and it would be the end of me. So maybe, maybe we should say, wait, time out, God, maybe don't do that. Is there a better plan? Yeah. See, that's another reason why Jesus came, because he took all the wrongs done by humanity on himself. Everybody has a need to be forgiven. There are moments in your life where you're like, I carry around so much guilt and shame right now because of what I just did intentionally. What do you do with that? See, that's the beautiful thing about the cross. Jesus would be born in a stable. He would grow to be a man. He would be super sought after by everybody, and then he would die on a cross, The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We don't take sin very seriously, but it is the reason why the world is so jacked up. There's a lot of shouting going on right now. Have you noticed that? And they're not shouts of joy. There's a lot of division, a lot of fighting, crazy violence. And in the midst of all this, we have a Christmas season with this baby at the center of it. You you have to understand that um, the most famous verse in the Bible is actually attached to the heart of God. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? The thing that was most precious to him, his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. So a lot of people run around and they're just like, you know, you know if you knew what these hands have done, if you knew where these feet have taken me, if you know what these eyes have seen, there is just no way God would ever accept me. Every hero in the Bible has major flaws. I mean, they have big, big problems. God is not mad at you. Let me say that again. God is not mad at you. God loves you, and the proof of that is Jesus. You can test the temperature of any human relationship that you have by the willingness of that other person to make sacrifices for you. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. If you've been around, you've heard me say that many times. And so the beautiful thing about God's plan is this. He's saying, what more could I do? (laughs) What more could I do to prove that I love you? I'm going to send my best. A a, a great example of the compassion of Jesus is the story about Jesus interacting with this woman who's at a well. Again, we talked about this even last Sunday. This woman is all wrong in, in all ways. She's just down and out. Um, She's made really, really bad decisions in life. And what Jesus does is he looks right through all of that. And he gives her what she needs. She comes to the well to draw water. And then Jesus responds by saying, okay, a well is is good and all. And wells were actually more like cisterns that were used to collect rainwater. And those could dry out. And so Jesus doesn't say to her, well, I'm a well myself. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm actually a spring. Big difference between a well and a spring. A spring continuously keeps bubbling forth and bubbling forth, and it keeps coming out. Right? And we talk about you throw dirt on it, and what happens? Eventually, it's still going to push up, and it's going to bubble out. And that's why Jesus is saying to her, you, you, for her, right, for her, for this woman, and this is, the, that woman represents every single human who's ever lived, she has been trying one thing after another to satisfy her. For her specifically, it was relationships with men, right? Jesus kind of calls her out and says, hey, you know, you've been with several different men. In fact, the guy that you're with now is not even your husband. Jesus was never soft on sin, but he was gentle with the sinner because he loves her. He wants to help her. And he says, you know, you've been drinking from these These wells, but they're they're, really—it's—they're dry. What you need is to take my life up into yours, and you'll experience more like a spring water. And she responds in the right way. But all of her messiness doesn't even phase Jesus because in front of her, in front of him, is a woman who needs forgiveness. I love what Max Lucado says, Christian author. He says, if our greatest need had been information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. That's grace, and that's something we all want and need a man who lived at the time of Jesus his name was Paul. He was a pretty gnarly dude because he sought to kill Christians and then he has a radical encounter with the resurrected Jesus and then he becomes one. And then he prays this beautiful prayer. And not only is it for himself, but it's for others. Let me read it to you. He says, "For this reason I bow my knees before the Father" from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he gives God his proper credit for being the one who creates even human life, all life. He says, so that according to the riches of God's glory, he may give you, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now that's a little wordy, but let me, let me put it in a modern context today we try really hard to strengthen ourselves through our own human spirits. And Paul says, that's not going to work. You need the spirit of God to work in you if you're going to be strengthened. Human spirit will only get you so far. Uh, You walk into the the bookstore, right? You go to Barnes and Noble. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the self-help section is actually pretty big. Now, If all these books were working, you would think that the self-help section would be getting smaller. But it's not. It keeps on growing and growing. Why? It turns out we're not very good at looking within and finding answers. Paul says if you're going to find answers, you have to look not from within, but from without. So he says, I pray that you would be strengthened through God's Spirit. Here's why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love, and then you're going to get all these adjectives about about God's love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A lot of adjectives to describe the love of God. It's a a beautiful picture that... um, that Paul paints. And it's a picture uh, that we need now, perhaps more than, than ever. Question, what does it look like when someone has the love of God in them? I'll give you a few examples. It looks like Jesus. Maybe there is someone in your life who has wounded you, and now is the time to forgive. Maybe there's some kind of disrupted relationship that you have, but with the love of God in you, you're motivated to perhaps take on your own responsibility and say, (laughs) right, the three English words that are rarely put together, I was wrong, I am sorry. Maybe it's the simple. You can be with friends and family. Maybe it's the simple, simple gift of de-escalating a family conversation by giving a gentle answer. Maybe it's telling your loved ones just say, "Just say, hey, you know what? I love you." You'll exchange gifts; they'll be meaningful to you. But when God's love is inside of you, you end up being the greatest gift giver there is because it's like you take on the life of Jesus and it's more like spring water that comes out of you that feeds everybody else's souls in a healthy way. My my favorite Christmas song is, Oh Holy Night. And I'll tell you why, one simple reason. There's just a couple lines in that song that are absolute poetry. They're beautiful. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Do you know what the word pining means? I didn't know, I had to look it up. The word pining literally means to waste away. For a long time, the world was just in this state of confusion and sin and all kinds of error and it was wasting away because of that. And it it describes a really hopeless scene. But then the next line is this, till he, that's Jesus, appeared, and this is the poetic part. When Jesus appeared, something happened to humanity, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You catch that? What that describes, the birth of Jesus telling you that you have incredible value because Jesus ultimately would be born to die on the cross for your sins. In a very real sense, our world today is pining (laughs) in sin and error. But Jesus has already appeared. I don't want you to leave here this afternoon without a deep sense of how valued you are. That is God's Christmas gift to you through His Son. So I don't know where each of you is at, but I've been doing this a long time. And I'm always quick to give the Spirit of God His chance, His opportunity with the creatures created in the image of God. So I'm gonna ask you to do this, if you would, please, for me. I'm gonna have you bow your heads, close your eyes, just to free you from any distractions. If it is the desire of your heart, if you're like, ah, man, you know, this uh, this is really resonating with me in a way that it hasn't before, or maybe you're here and you're like, I've never heard this stuff before. That's awesome. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. Every single one of us is in need of a savior. That's why God sent Jesus. To know that you have value, to know that you're loved, to know that Jesus took upon himself all of your regrets, all of your shame, all of your junk. You give him all of that, and in return, what he gives you is eternal life, best gift you will ever receive. If that's the desire of your heart, you simply say it, to God, you just simply say, hey, I get it. This is what this is all about. But this is the time and the place. This is the most important decision you will ever make. That's why this Christmas season can be very special for you. It could be a spiritual, spiritual birthday for you. You simply tell God through prayer that's talking to God and just say, hey, I, I want exactly that. That's what I need. I need to be saved. We would love to talk with you more about this. If you just want to hit that QR code on the back of the seat behind you, or in front of you and connect with us father i pray that as we sing these final songs that are really ultimately songs that express how great your glory is because of what god you've done through us for us through jesus father continue to impress upon our hearts the gift of your son i pray for those that have made that decision Father, I pray that you would help them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for those of us that just need to be reminded again, God, let's leave this place and live in it. For your glory, we pray. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.